One guest, 10 songs, 10 reasons. Music was my first love on Radio Glamorgan. My guest today is a former Radio Glamorgan volunteer, Robert Dark, who was with the station between 2001 and 2016. We'll hear from Bob and talk about his time with Radio Glamorgan and much more besides after his first choice, which is from Fleetwood Mac. And I need a good woman to make me feel like a good man should. I don't say I'm a good man. Oh, but I would be if I could. Welcome back to Radio Glamorgan, Bob, and in particular to the John Will Studio. How do we find you? Well, I hope. Very well, yes. It's a real treat to be back here. It's uh, been quite a while now since I've been in the studio. And, How long? Uh, probably about four years. I think it was, like you said, 2016 yeah. that I gave up. After 15 years of doing various shows at various different times in the week, uh, I loved it. I loved my time here. I met some fabulous people, made some lifelong friends. Yeah, and, you do. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's been really great. Uh, you're very welcome to Music Was My First Love. Tell us about your first choice, Fleetwood Mac's Man of the World. It was 1969 when that came out. I was 16 years old, and I think, although I'd played a lot of pop music, the Beatles and all that sort of stuff, I think this was the first song that really, it struck a chord with me. It just, it, it spoke to my soul, I suppose. I was very shy at 16. I was an only child. I was quite a lonely little soul. And that, that song, it's so kind of plaintive and... Mm. Um, melancholy and i just thought yeah i really i still play it i still love that song and i was lucky enough to see peter green who is the lead singer with, yeah. with fleetwood mac at the time or oh, probably about 10 years ago playing that in the patty pavilion in swansea and uh it's the first time i'd ever seen you know i've never seen fleetwood mac but it's the first time i saw him playing it live and it was just amazing blew me away i've got something that might take you back a bit yeah Robert Dark, Radio Glamorgan. Is that still on the system? It's still there. So tell me, how, what, what got you involved with, with Radio Glamorgan in the first place? Well, it's quite funny, really, because my son was very keen on being in radio. And, uh, in fact, he did join Radio Glamorgan and, and went on to do a lot of community radio as well up in Pontypridd. And I saw a cutting in South Wales Echo, and it said, Hospital Radio looking for DJ volunteers so I just cut it out and he was he was already married he was living elsewhere and I took it round to him I said you ought to get in touch with these they're they're looking for DJs and a couple of days later he handed the bit of paper back to me and he said they're looking for old geezers like you because <laughs> <laughs> the actual way the article was worded was um they wanted people that could identify with the average age of the audience which they'd worked out was sort of 40s and 50s and uh they wanted people that could remember that far back, you know. So I ended up thinking, well, yeah, I wouldn't mind giving it a go. And then I, I did. And a year later, Jeff came on board as well. And what, what shows were you uh, presenting? Can you remember? Um, yeah, I did Friday 6 to 8. I didn't have a name or anything. I just used to come in and muck about and play music, you know. And then and then later on, when I got... I, I published my first novel and I decided that there there really ought to be something about books because when you're in hospital that that can be a time when even if you don't normally have time to read you're, you're lying in mm. a bed and when you're not listening to Radio Glamorgan the only other thing you can do pretty much is read so I thought well let's do a, a weekly book show so I called it Books and Music and I used to run through the top 10 um, books of that week and uh, what's what's 
good books that I'd read and you know I would invite people to ring in and make recommendations for their books if they had any that they thought they'd want to share how good it was with other listeners and all that kind of thing and I also interviewed I mean over the course of the show I interviewed several authors as well I had um, Leslie Horton who was the chair of the Crime Writers Association at the time and a few local authors that I know Joe Verity and people like that you know so now as well as uh, Music Was My First Love and a Saturday night show, I co-host the Midweek Mix on a Wednesday mm-hmm. evening from 6. And our theme tune, which we start every show with, is perchance your second choice. Really? So tell us why you've chosen Steeler's Wheel Stuck in the Middle with you. Well, it's quite funny, really. This was about four years after Fleetwood Mac, I think, in about 72, I think it came out, something like 73. I'd just met my wife as she is now she was just my girlfriend then and we were coming down rubina hill i don't know where we'd been we might have been to the dairy or we might have been on our way back from somewhere but i can't remember why we were traveling but this came on the radio and i just burst into song singing along with it and it was quite out of the blue i'm not somebody that habitually sings along to music especially when i've got a passenger and i i don't know don't think we'd been going out all that long and uh, I just burst into song, and she burst out laughing. And ever since then, it's been our song. You know, clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you, and I'm still stuck in the middle with her now. Could have Forty-five been years later, yeah. The singing could have put her off. It could have. <laughs> I'm amazed it didn't actually. <laughs> yes, I'm stuck in- Over the 16 years that you were with Radio Glamorgan, did you see a lot of changes? Uh, yeah, quite a few. I mean, the studio was refurbished, but it was it was a pretty good studio. When I when I joined, it had just been refurbished with lottery money, so it was it at the time it was state of the art. And then over the sort of next ten years, it gradually got a bit out of date. And then they did they did close it for I think about six months, and we we were presenting the show from the little studio in the back room yeah. there. Um, but yeah, it, you know, it's a lot of changes. I think most of that time. Claire Sinclair was the chairperson, and um, before her, Simon Field was yeah. chairman. But, um, yeah, yeah, there were a few changes, but not a lot. Have you always been a music lover? Yes. I wish I could play music. I've always yeah. thought I'd love to be in a band, but I can't, so the next best thing is playing other people's music. I'd like to play boogie-woogie piano. Would you? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'd like to do. Yeah. Did you have older siblings? No, 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 I'm an only child. So just you. So were your parents playing music? At no, home? no. So it really came from you. Well, it did. Yeah, I think my parents used to like music. They used to like people like Frank Sinatra and yeah. Elvis and you know people like that. Who, being a teenager, I mean, I was lucky. I think because I had my first record player for passing the eleven plus. That was my sort right. of prize, and I went out and bought five singles, and two of them were by the Beatles. I want to hold your hand, and this boy. I was lucky that really the Beatles happened just at the time I was getting into music. So, of course, there was a tremendous amount of enthusiasm for the Beatles. And then there was the Rolling Stones and all the sort of late 60s, early 70s bands, many of whom are still going today. You know, I I saw the Rolling Stones just a couple of years ago. Your third choice, Bob, on this list of music was my first love, is from Adele with Bob Dylan's Make You Feel My Love. Yeah. Well, I really, I love Bob Dylan. I think he's a genius songwriter, but a terrible singer. I know <laughs> some people are going to shoot me for that. But I think, I think other people do his songs better than he does, if I'm honest. Yeah. Apart from maybe one or two exceptions. I like Lay, Lady, Lay. Yeah. But um, most of his songs are better 
when they're covered. And I think this version by Adele of Make You Feel My Love, it's just superb. And I go to a lot of live music, and I saw Adele performing this just a few weeks after her first album took off, really. She was playing St. David's Hall. I think she was a bit awestruck by her meteoric rise after releasing the album 19. She said that three months earlier, she'd been playing in Cardiff in the Barfly to a handful of people, you know, and then suddenly she comes back and fills St. David's Hall. And I'm sure if she came back to Cardiff now, she'd fill oh, the stadium, over. wouldn't yeah, she? You know? she would. So I feel very lucky to have seen her in such an intimate setting when she was really just starting out on her career. And she stood there on the stage and she she looked like an ordinary girl next door. I mean, she was a bit overweight. Yeah. She had a long black cardigan that she says she bought from Peacock's. <laughs> And she's leaning on the microphone with a mug of tea in her hand, yeah. swearing like a trooper. Yeah. And then she sang this song, and I could feel a lump in my throat. It, she just rings that emotion out of the song, and I think it just really moved me, you know, and I thought, well, I've got to include that. And, uh, and, and in choosing these records, it's so hard. So if I can, if I can do one of my favourite artists covering another of my favourite songs, I feel like I'm getting two for one. We'll talk a bit about that later as well, when song number nine comes up. No, there's nothing that I wouldn't do To make you feel my love how did you get into crime writing? It occurs to me that the song Paperback Writer isn't on my list of ten no. hits, but I think right back from when the Beatles released Paperback Writer, I thought, I wonder if I could make a career as a writer. And I never really... I was married quite young. I had to earn money and um, you know keep a roof over our heads and all that sort of thing, so... I mean, I suppose I'm making excuses. I think the other thing is I didn't really have the confidence when I was younger to give it a go. So it wasn't until much later in life that um, I think when I was 50 years old, I was desperate to write a book. I rather foolishly gave up work and my wife agreed to support me for a, a take a year out, really, mm. while I had a go. And, well, at the time, family circumstances took over a bit. We had a, quite a, a terrible bereavement, and that kind of blew right in out of the water. So I, I ended up going, going back to work, first of all, on a part-time basis, and then on a full-time basis. I did write several short stories before I um, embarked on a novel, but uh, it wasn't until I retired that I really wrote my first novel. And, did you write uh, in school? Yeah, I wrote essays and things yeah. and fiction, yeah, but uh, I never wrote seriously. So you've written two novels, one of them, um, The Accidental Career, you've kindly brought in and signed for yep, me. Yep. Um, can we expect a third? Yeah, I'm working on a third at the moment. Two years ago, I moved house. I moved from Pennyland to Rubina, and um, I'm kind of caring for my mother who lives next door to me now we were lucky that the house next door to her came up for sale yeah. so we've moved in so that she can she's 92 wow. in december and she's still living independently but we're on hand to help with the little things and, and just keep an eye out for her you know so that was nice so i find that a lot of my time in the last couple of years has been taken up with various other things. I also love riding motorcycles, which we can we talk about We will talk a bit about later. that, yeah. That's something else I took up in retirement, riding and motorcycles. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I haven't had a lot of time. So I'm actually working on a series of short stories at the moment. 
It's based around a harbour in Cornwall. It's quite a departure from my previous novels. They're not really crime novels. They're more general short stories because I did cut my teeth on short stories. Mm. I used to... I had lots of stories published in women's magazines, twist-in-the-tail stories, like I had several in Best and Bella and uh, magazines like that, you know, with five-minute fiction. I I felt I had to prove to myself that um, I wasn't being delusional. You know, you see these people on programs like X Factor that patently can't sing and everyone around them tells them they can. I I wanted to prove to myself that I could write to a publishable standard before I embarked on a novel because I'm not a quick writer. It takes me ages. It took me about three years to write the first novel and a a similar length of time to write the second. So So do we know when we can expect the third? Oh, hopefully next year sometime. I'm working through these series of short stories and they'll all be kind of linked. They're all set around the same harbour, so I'm using different characters. I I sense a TV series adaptation. Well, that would be lovely, wouldn't it? (laughs) Tell me about Tom Baxter and Skybound. Well, Tom Baxter, as I I said to you with um, Adele, I go to an awful lot of live music gigs and I first saw Tom Baxter on um, a uh, BBC Four program, I think it was. They do great music. Shows. They do, yeah. And I just, I caught him. I thought, God, this guy's good. And he was coming to Bristol in about a month's time to the Thekla, which I don't know if you've ever been to that gig, no. but it's basically a boat floating in the harbour in Bristol that puts on live music gigs. That was probably about, oh. 10, 15 years ago. He had a band then. Now he, he sort of he went off to India to find himself and there was a gap in his music and now he's doing a lot of solo albums where it's just him and a guitar but I think he's a brilliant songwriter he's written some songs that you may know there's a song called Better that Boyzone covered and he's done another one that Shirley Bassey sang I know Better, yeah Yeah, Our Love Has Changed, It's Not The Same yeah, well he wrote that Okay. this next track that I've chosen is the title track from that album, Skybound because I love the way it builds and he gets such a lot of passion in his Music. Tom's name that you know me by, and I'm five eleven, brown I have a version of this next song from the late George Michael, which he mashed up with Papa Was a Rolling Stone. Oh yeah, he did a, a, a tour some years ago called the Cover to Cover Tour, mm-hmm. and so when they when they had the Freddie Mercury tribute concert, yeah. And they they put out um, the track that he did. They put his version of this on the yeah. road. Brilliant. Are you a fan of the song, or was it Seal? Or uh, well, it was the song I think, and I've chosen the Adamski mix because I like all the little production bits that go with it. You know, the little mm. bits that play in your ear, especially if you're listening in headphones. And I think also um, when I when I write crime, sometimes I have to put my head in the mind of a killer. Now, they say you should only write from experience, but I can't really go out and kill people. Well, I probably could. In fact, my books might sell better if I did, but I wouldn't go that far. But I think it's such a visceral song, and it's about, you know, a killer. And I think it just triggers something in me that enables me to sort of work through the mindset of a killer, if you like. You know, it's just one of those songs. I don't, I, generally, when I'm writing, I like to play music without words you know instrumentals because i find the words kind of interfere with you know whatever the lyrics are they distract me from what i'm writing but i do like a bit of music on in the background but it has to be quite quiet but sometimes to get in the mood for writing i'll play something like this 
just to get me kind of get the adrenaline pumping, I suppose. Well, one question that, that springs to mind before we hear uh, Adamski and Seal and Killer. Um, when I read a book, I picture actors playing the part mm -hmm. if it's been dramatised. Do you get a, when you're writing a character, do you get a mental picture of, of what that person looks like? Yes, I do, but it would be hard for me to describe him. In fact, one of the criticisms that I get from my writing is that I don't put a lot of character description in. I put characterization in, but not really physical descriptions. I like to leave it to the reader to imagine what they will. I mean, I'm an avid Archers fan, for right. example. Yeah. I can't bear seeing the actors that play the roles in the archers because when I do see pictures of them, they're nothing like how I imagine no. them. And I prefer not to see them because I prefer the people I'm imagining. So, I, yeah, I, I have a picture, but um, it would probably be a very different picture to your picture or anyone else's that read them. We'll be I really love that record and of all the records that I've chosen that one in particular takes me right back to my days in this studio when I used to do a weekly show it was pretty much a regular on my playlist I just love it I love the production values I love that mellow guitar I love the way the, the trumpets come in sort of halfway through you know it's beautifully understated the uh, good word, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, it's, it's not overproduced, it's just, well, to my mind, it's perfect. And that whole album, Continuum, I mean, he's made loads of albums, but if you're new to John Mayer, I think Continuum is probably his best album. Yeah, but all the others are good as well, mind. He's an artist that I've never seen live, but I, I don't know that he comes out of America all that often, but no. I would love to go and see him. If he does, he tends to do the O2 in London or something like that, and the tickets are hundreds of pounds. Yeah, and it <laughs> costs know. you that much to get there. Well, that's it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tell me uh, about this passion for motorbikes, and in particular the Harley-Davidson. Well, ever since um, the film Easy Rider came out with Dennis Hopper and Peter Fonda, when I, when I was a teenager, I had a poster of those two on their Harley-Davidsons on my bedroom all above the bed. Always dreamed of owning a motorbike. My parents were dead set against it to the extent that they went to the length of promising me that they'd buy a second car which I could share with my mother. She'd have it for work and then I would have it to go gallivanting about at weekends and in the evenings as long as I didn't buy a motorbike. Because you could, in those days, you, I don't know what the age is now, but you could buy a bike 16, at 16. Yeah. yeah. And obviously it was 17 for a car. So I had to kind of wait a year but the promise of a car was enough to keep me off the bikes. Then I got, I got married quite young. I was 20 when I met my wife, 21 when we got married. And um, I don't know, I never really had the opportunity, but I always had that dream of owning a Harley. And then years later, when I worked in Company's House, actually just down the road here, one of my team died quite unexpectedly. He was only a young young man in his 40s. It wasn't a biking-related related accident or anything. It was a, just a health thing. But um, he was a member of a Harley chapter, and at his funeral, all these Harley Davidsons followed the hearse round to the crematorium. And at the time, I, w I was coming up to retirement. I had about a year to go, and I looked at all these beautiful big bikes, and I thought, I've always wanted one of these, and I'm running out of life 
You know, I, I was 50, I think I was 58 when this happened. I retired at 60. I just thought, God, I'd really love a bike. So when I retired, with, with some of the money that I got for retiring, I bought myself a Harley Davidson trike. Partly because I love Billy Connolly and his programs no, when he used right. to ride around yeah. on the trike. And, and partly because you can drive a trike on a car license. So I didn't need to do a bike test. Uh-huh. So I bought a, a small, it had to be a Harley Davidson because of the, the iconic brand. I bought a small Harley Davidson. That was too small. Then I bought a bigger one, which was like, um, you know, like a throne, really. I mean, my wife sat on the back. She had an armchair, <laughs> speakers, the whole lot, you know. And we toured around on that for about a year. And then we, we had an accident on it. I actually tipped it over. And the insurance went through the roof after that. So I thought, well, I'm going to get two wheels. I'm going to learn to ride a bike. And I have to say, having, having just, I was 62 by then. And uh, I don't know whether it's old dog, new tricks. But I think it's one of the hardest challenges, if you like, that I've ever given myself. I found it really difficult learning to ride a motorbike. It wasn't like a trike at all. I mean, you could, there's the same controls on a trike. But the whole style of riding, the balancing and all that, brings a whole new dimension to it. If you like, it's like the difference between riding a bicycle or a quad bike. You've got a balance on a bicycle. Yeah. You haven't got a balance on a, on a trike or a quad bike. You stop and you just sit there. You stop on a bike. If you forget to put your foot down, you fall over. So I, I learned to ride this bike. And there's, there's four stages to a bike test. You have to do your compulsory bike training, which is really just to make sure you at least know how to operate the controls and the brakes and things like that. Then you do your theory test, and there's a practical part to that as well where you have to do hazard awareness. Then you do something called Mod 1, which is done um, in, a, in an enclosed area, and you're riding figure of eights through cones and doing emergency stops and swerves and riding very slowly and doing all that. <clears throat> and I really thought at some points that I thought... Well, this is impossible. I'm never going to be able to ride a bike. It's just too hard. And once or twice, I almost gave up. And I remember driving home in despair once from one of the lessons where I simply couldn't master the U-turn in the space that you're supposed to do it in. And this song came on, and um, it just inspired me because it's one of those songs, it's about tenacity. Um, it's an encouraging song, I think. It, and it also, it talks about admitting your weaknesses uh, I, I just love the lyrics and Megan Henwood, it, her voice is so pure, you can understand every word she sings, I really love her voice and her her arrangements and this song I, I think it was just right time right place, it, it was an inspiration to me and I love the line for example sometimes I'm weak like the waves on the shore but just like the tide I come back for more You know, oh. and I think it kind of inspired me to keep going there's another line in it i'll never be this young again and although i was beginning to think i'm too old to learn or i've left it too late but then i thought well i'm never going to be this young again if i can't do it now it's not going to get any easier as i get older because i was brave when i was born and next choice on this edition of Music Was My First Love is is not really something I expected to see no. on your list. Flo well, Rider and Good Feeling. <laughs> Do you know, the funny thing is, I haven't really got a lot to say about this, except that we were talking about motorbike riding, 
I don't really know how, but this found its way. I, I have a Bluetooth headset in my motorcycle helmet and I play music. And I was cruising around the Brecon Beacons on a sunny day, not a lot of traffic. And this song came on and it just sums up how it feels. I mean, having passed my motorcycle test, I, had, I passed my test four years ago. I think I'm on my fifth motorbike now. I've had four Harleys. I've got a BMW now. And I just love, I've just come back from touring Ireland with three or four of my mates. Is this a very late midlife crisis? Well, it could be. <laughs> it could be. I don't know what it is. I'm glad I didn't discover it when I was younger because I may, I may well have killed myself. <laughs> I'm not a boy racer anymore. So I, I do take it nice and steady and I do everything I can. It is dangerous, but I do everything I can to mitigate the dangers. I've learnt, I've done advanced riding courses. I've tried to be the best rider I can be, and I, I'm not one of these people that you see shooting past you, approaching blind bends and things like that. I'm a pretty steady rider, really, but I do love it. And this song just sums up that such a good feeling. Yes, I can. Your penultimate track on this edition, Bob, is a one I also wouldn't have expected. So tell me about every car you chase. It's a cheat. I had such trouble narrowing it down to ten songs, I managed to squeeze an extra yeah. one in. But I tell you what happened about this. I was on holiday in Ireland, and they were playing this song on RTE2, which is almost like the, the island equivalent of Radio 2. And everywhere we went during that holiday it was like playing on the hour every hour that the, the, they just really embraced it and I, I i don't normally like mashups all that much but it, it it's such a perfect fit this these two songs it, it's basically every breath you take by the police mashed up with chasing cars by snow patrol and it's put together by a guy called party ben who is a californian dj and even he was surprised i mean on his website at the time he sort of said uh, he was amazed that this song has just taken off in Ireland, you know, and uh, it was just one of those things. And, and I came back and I got, I managed to download it from his website and I put it on air. And John and John Wills, who the studio is named after, and Jamie, who's now chairman of Radio Glamorgan, they just started not not long. They were doing the show that used to follow me, and I I put this on, and Jamie came rushing in and said. What on earth is this? Because it starts off and you think it's one song and then the lyrics cut in and it's the other song. And um, it's just stayed with me, really. And I've just come back from touring Ireland on the motorbike. And right. So I suppose it was in my mind because I, was, I associate this song with Ireland, really, which is where I discovered it. As we sit here in the John Wills studio, we turn to your final choice, Let It Be, from the Beatles, which I know you've chosen for very special and sentimental reasons. That's right. Yeah, John and I... John, I started about a year before John, I think, and John used to come along with Jamie, who... Jamie Pritchard is now chairman of this radio station. He's also a full-time professional music DJ on The Wave in Swansea. He was just a 12-year-old kid when he started here in Radio Glamorgan. And even then, both John and I felt like almost parental towards him and, and encouraged him because he was so enthusiastic about radio. It's all he lived and breathed for. And I, I always thought John just came along, really, because 
you've got to be 18 to be a presenter on Radio Glamorgan unless you've supervised. So John used to come along as his adult supervisor initially, but then John got caught up in it as well. And I think, you know, you make friendships. You've got a united passion. Everybody in radio loves music, really. Otherwise, why would you be doing it? So we all love music. And John and I got very, very close over the years. And we became like gig buddies. We would go to all sorts of gigs together. I would sometimes, if, if there was somebody I wanted to see and I couldn't drag my wife along to it, I would drag John along. And, and likewise, if he wanted to see someone, I might not always be very keen on them but I would go along and usually I would enjoy them and we were always introducing new artists to one another and um, we were very close I mean we used to meet up regularly for coffee and a chat you know even after I finished at Radio Glamorgan so when, when he died it was a real blow for me personally as I'm sure everybody in Radio Glamorgan felt it because he was so dedicated to this station he was a studio manager and he just used to put hours and hours in. He'd live for it, really. I mean, he, he was a bachelor, so he didn't have a wife at home saying, you're spending too much time at the <laughs> radio station, so there was nothing to rein him in, really. And he was just so dedicated to this place. And I think it's wonderful that the studio's named after him. And I could tell you, I mean, we could spend an hour, just I could tell you some of the stories of some of the things that John and I used to get up to. And the reason I've chosen Let It Be is because we were both huge Beatles fans. I mean, John's email address was number one Beatles fan. And um, he just, he was one of the most knowledgeable people about the Beatles that I'd ever met. He knew far more about them than I did, even though I loved them. I've heard that he knew more about the Beatles than they probably did. I think he probably did, yeah. I mean, he used to go every year, he used to, on John Lennon's birthday, he used to go to Liverpool and visit John Lennon's house because it's um, it's open to the public now. It's like a museum, you know. But he used to go every year. He was a true... He wasn't just a fan, he was a fanatic. And for my 60th birthday, Let It Be was on, which was a, a sort of Beatles story. It, it was more than just a tribute act. I mean, we, we've all seen... Well, we'd both seen the bootleg Beatles several times, but this was a sort of... It was more like a real Beatles concert, and there were little clips of the Beatles and... It was a wonderful show, and I went to London on my 60th birthday with my wife and John. The three of us went up, had a fabulous night, came back, loved it. And about two years later, it came to the Wales Millennium as well. And we both thought, let's go again. We all, we all went to it a second time and enjoyed it just as much the second time as we did the first time. I mean, I know John had seen the Beatles performing live back in the 60s when they, they came to Cardiff. And I, something... You know, I, I've forgiven my parents for most things, but I've never forgiven them for being on holiday <laughs> both times the Beatles came to Capital Centre in Cardiff. Well, it was the Capital Cinema in those mm. days that they played. And uh, I've seen some great live acts there, but I never saw the Beatles live. And I would have loved... I've seen Paul McCartney, but uh, none of the others. So one of those things. But this particular song, I just... I just felt I wanted to include this for John as much as any. I mean, coming back here today has been quite... I didn't know how I'd feel. I feel quite glad. I wasn't sure whether I'd be a bit upset even, you know, because it's a year on, and I was away when John died, and I'd visited him in hospital the day before we went to Jersey, and we, he was quite well. He was improving. He was talking about... He was dying for a good pint of beer and steak and chips, and we were going to go over the dairy and have a steak and chips. That's the last conversation I had with him. And then I had the news that he died. And I was quite surprised because he was okay when 
I'd, I'd left a few years. It went down very rapidly, mm. you know. And, uh, yeah, it was tough. I think it was tough on all of us. And he's such a lovely guy. I mean, I'll give you one example, one story. We went to a gig in Bristol. Again, the three of us, because my wife used to come along as well, and we would go to these gigs. We went to see American singer Macy Gray. Yeah. We went to see Macy Gray in Bristol, and I parked in what I thought was a parking space. Turns out it wasn't. In fact, I didn't. I, I was the one that had doubts. I said I didn't think it was. And my wife and John both said, no, you'll be all right here. It looks, it's a space. And it was the only space available. So we parked it. When I came back out, I had a parking ticket. John, he insisted on paying that parking ticket. He would not let me pay. In fact, he just threw the money in the back of the car as he got out and said, nope, I'm paying for that because I said the space was okay. And it wasn't, you know. And we went to several gigs in Bristol after that, and we used to joke, and I would say, wait, I can park right outside the venue now because John will pick up a ticket. <laughs> and we were always kind of just gently pulling his leg about that. You know, it became quite a thing, really. But that's the kind of guy he was. He was just such a lovely I, man. I never had the pleasure. No, it's a shame because mm. he would... Uh, well, everybody loved him. I mean, he, he was just... Nothing was too much trouble, you know. He was kind, he was thoughtful, and he was helpful. He, he knew the studio back to front. Mm. So, Robert, a wife, Diana, mm -hmm. two sons, eight grandchildren, motorbikes, novels, retirement, and life in general treats you well. Absolutely. I would say I was living the dream. I've never been happier in my life. And um, it's just great. I really enjoy retirement. I should have done it when I was 20. It's been lovely to meet you, Bob. Thanks Thank you very here. much. Nice to meet you as well. Lovely to be back here. You've been listening to Music Was My First Love on Radio Glamorgan, where former RG volunteer Robert Dark has been choosing ten of his favourite tracks. I'm Andrew Wolf, and join me again soon when another Radio Glamorgan volunteer chooses their favourite tracks on another edition of Music Was My First Love. My first love.